You're listening to Clinical Minds, presented by Medidata, a Desso Systems company. I'm Paul Ostreicher. The urgent efforts to develop a vaccine to combat the global COVID-19 pandemic thrust clinical trials into the public consciousness like no time before. While the discussions around clinical trials may be new to some, the issues associated with them are not. Uneven access and deep pockets of mistrust in the medical system leave significant segments of the population underrepresented in clinical research, and that has major public health consequences. A recent article in The Atlantic noted, quote, Decades of systemic racism have pushed communities of color into poor neighborhoods and low-paying jobs, making it harder for them to access health care in general, and now vaccines in particular. This all paints a complicated picture and involves institutionalized barriers that we need to break down in order to reach vulnerable communities. Today's guest, Dr. Giovanni Spinner, specializes in understanding these challenges to reach people who lack access to care. Dr. Spinner is the Associate Director for Outreach and Communications in the Office of Minority Health and Health Equity at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. She and her team focus on improving clinical trial access and enrollment and enhancing public trust and education. Dr. Spinner oversees the strategic direction of the team, advises senior officials on minority health, and leads their diversity and clinical trials initiative. Dr. Spinner, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here today. To start us off, it would be great to hear how you got started in the field. What inspired you to pursue this career? Sure. So I have a pretty interesting story about how I landed in public health. So originally I did my undergrad in biology and I was all set to be on the dentistry track. And then in my senior year, I decided that, hmm, this was no longer for me. So I was kind of at a crossroads because I did not want to do lab research. I didn't want to teach. So I had to try to figure out, okay, so what can I do with this biology degree now? So after I um, finished my undergrad, I actually took a few different uh, graduate level courses to try to like find my path in the world. Right. And so the first course I took was like a pharmacology course and I volunteered at our local hospital and a pharmacy and realized that wasn't for me. I wanted to, you know, go in the nursery and hold the babies instead of being in the pharmacy. So that definitely was not the career path for me. But then I took this African-American issues and public health course um, and a light bulb went off for me. And it really made me realize that, you know, my path in life was addressing population health concerns. I still had a deep passion for health and for health care. But what what I really recognized was I wanted to work with groups of people. I wanted to work at the community level. I really wanted to focus in on programs and interventions and how do we, you know, um, educate people so they can make positive behavior changes to um, improve their health. And I knew all along I had a deep passion for chronic disease prevention, Um, just looking at my community, seeing my family members, seeing people in my community, Um, have to live with um, diseases like diabetes and high blood pressure and really seeing the toll that it was taking on their health, on their quality of life. I knew that this was where I could make a difference. This is the intersection that I needed to be at 
Um, and this is where I wanted to make a change. And this is what I wanted to devote my life to doing. So after I, you know, that light bulb moment went off and after I realized this was my path, then I went on to get my master's degree in public health. And I guess the rest is history. That's a, a wonderful story. And uh, the trajectory that, that you've taken has now put you in a place where you're able to apply a lot of those learnings directly to those issues that you just described. In terms of diversity, diversity in clinical trials, it's been an issue for some time now. Can you tell us about the role of FDA's minority health and health equity team? Absolutely. So we know that the U.S. population is growing increasingly diverse. And ensuring that we have meaningful representation of racial and ethnic minorities and other diverse populations in clinical trials for regulated medical products is fundamental not only to FDA's regulatory mission, but also public health. Um, so FDA definitely remains committed, and we continue to work to increase the participation of diverse populations in clinical trials that test new medical products through a variety of different strategies like hosting public meetings, developing different tools and resources, and also issuing guidance documents. And because clinical trials provide a critical base of evidence for evaluating whether a medical product is safe and effective, enrollment in clinical trials should definitely reflect the diversity of the population that is ultimately going to use the product. So, for example, we know that there are biological differences in how people respond to certain drugs. Variations in genetic coding can make a cancer treatment more toxic in one ethnic group than another. Or these variations can also make drugs like antidepressants and blood pressure medications less effective in one population than in another population. So that's why having the diversity in clinical trials is critically important. Um, it's also reality that people of different ages, races, ethnicities could react differently to certain medical products. So it is important for clinical trial participants to reflect the diversity of the population that's going to use the product once it comes to market. Um, and this is so the data can be appropriately analyzed and more meaningful clinical data can be communicated to the public. So a big part of your mission then is to educate consumers about clinical trials and the importance of including diverse populations. How do you communicate the importance of getting involved in the clinical trial? So in my office and FDA's Office of Minority Health Equity, <clears throat> as you mentioned before, I'm the Associate Director of Outreach and Communications. And one of our key priorities is working to advance diverse participation in clinical trials. Um, so part of our work centers around raising awareness about the need for diverse participation in clinical trials. And so we do have robust programming to engage diverse stakeholders about clinical trial diversity. Um, we're also creating culturally and linguistically tailored health education materials and resources. We support research projects to answer specific minority health questions. And we also support the workforce pipeline of diverse researchers and scientists through our internship and fellowship programs. What can you tell us about the role of trust, trust in science, trust in the medical community? What kinds of challenges are you addressing there? And 
how can you help attract clinical trial participants through the work that you're doing right now? We know there are many different reasons why racial and ethnic minorities and other diverse groups have been underrepresented in clinical trials. And one of those barriers to participation that we all know and that you just referenced is a lack of trust because of past historical abuses. But first, let's discuss some terminology so where everyone's speaking the same language. So there are two types of trust issues that we need to be concerned about. The first one is distrust. And this is based on a person's personal experience and mistrust, which is based on having a general sense of unease towards someone or something like the medical system, for example. And both are important because they can impact a person's ability to engage with the healthcare and clinical research systems. Other barriers to participation may differ based on the population you're seeking to enroll. Um, and they may include things like language and cultural differences, health literacy, religion, transportation, or a lack of awareness or knowledge about what a clinical trial is and what it means to actually participate in a clinical trial. And so some barriers may be due to aspects of the trial design, such as inadequate recruitment and retention efforts. It could be accessibility to the site location, the frequency of study visits, the, um, the time and resource constraints for the patient, um, transportation, um, and participation may conflict with caregiver or other family responsibilities. It may cause time away from jobs and other commitments. So those are some of the, the physical barriers that may be in place for participants to participate. But oftentimes, there's also a perception that minorities don't want to participate. And that's simply not true. And a lot of times participation um, is lacking because they simply aren't asked to be a part of the clinical trial. But what we do know from research and from experience is that mistrust and distrust are becoming less of an issue. And the major barrier is simply not asking. So research has shown that there is no difference in the willingness between African-Americans and Hispanics compared to whites. And so as a part of our outreach efforts in the Office of Minority Health and Health Equity, we've launched the Diversity in Clinical Trials Initiative. We know that oftentimes there may be a disconnect between the researchers and community members. We know that researchers need to authentically engage with communities and build sustainable relationships. And to build trust, you have to show up and consistently add value. So this could take on the form of having community meetings where you share information about the study. You're able to answer questions for participants. You can support the community by hosting health fairs. But most importantly, you have to ask the community what they want and how they want to be engaged and be ready to appropriately tailor your communication style to meet their needs. And so it is very important to make sure that you are having that bi-directional communication with um, community members. You're bringing up a really important point, and that is there are so many stakeholders involved in influencing the success or failure of these clinical trials. I'm wondering in particular, how could clinical trial sponsors such as drug, vaccine, and medical device developers take advantage of your work? Ultimately, we are here to make sure that we can create a world where health equity is a reality for all 
And of course, a big part of our portfolio of work is addressing clinical trial diversity. We have created the Diversity in Clinical Trials Initiative, and this is an ongoing public education and outreach campaign to help address some of the barriers to preventing diverse groups from participating in clinical trials. So it's very important to make sure that the campaign materials include diverse people that reflect the communities that we want to serve. And we use a variety of culturally and linguistically competent strategies, tools, and resources. And these materials are available in multiple languages. We have a dedicated webpage with public service announcements and videos. We have social media outreach and also ongoing stakeholder engagement, collaborations, and partnerships. So all of these resources can be found on our website at www.fda.gov slash health equity. And I want to mention that this initiative includes an ongoing campaign that provides positive reinforcements through education and multimedia to help address some of the barriers preventing diverse groups from participating in clinical trials. Um, a lot of times we hear what's wrong and all of the many health issues plaguing minorities, but we want to make sure we're adding a positive perspective and creating actionable materials that consumers can use to help make informed decisions about their health. Um, so the campaign combats some of the myths and then also provides positive messaging reflecting diverse spokespersons and participants. On that note, you've deployed a lot of interesting activities, a lot of important initiatives. Have you had any surprises, any, anything good or bad, some interesting teachable moments that others might like to hear? Yeah, I wouldn't say necessarily surprises, but with any, with any project, any program, there's always going to be a lesson learned and always going to be a teachable moment, right? Making sure that you're staying on top of things, being engaged, being ready to pivot. So having the opportunity to have the dialogue with stakeholders to find out what are their actual needs and how can we better address those needs? How can they get involved and engage with the agency to make sure that their voice is heard? I'd like to ask about that. I was wondering if there were one or two initiatives or activities that you'd love to see amplified. Uh, we would love to see more involvement that could really pay off in the near term. Well, I would say a couple of the areas that, you know, we are continuing to work on and make sure that we're amplifying is our stakeholder engagement piece. Uh, we're always making sure that, you know, we have um, the right stakeholders at the table who can help advise and support our work, who can cross promote and help amplify the work that we're doing. So that's one area that, you know, we're definitely engaging more into. Um, and I would definitely like to see, you know, more work in that area. Earlier, you mentioned some important facts, and some of those have been not reported necessarily always accurately uh, in the news media. Are there one or two myths that you'd like to take the opportunity to bust right now? Sure. So one myth is that minorities don't want to participate in clinical trials. That's just simply untrue. Um, really, what it boils down to is asking them to be a part of the, the clinical trial. So I think that's one myth that I want 
um, researchers and medical providers to know that we need to start having the conversations. Uh, You cannot look at a person and make a decision on whether or not you think they want to be a part of clinical trials. Simply ask them and inform and educate them about the process. Um, A lot of times patients may not know that clinical trials exist for their health condition, um, so they may not know to ask. But once they have um, been asked and the dialogue has been started, then they're, you know, obviously more willing to engage in the process. Right. Finding that common ground, that common language, just just having the ability to reach out and engage, that in itself is making tremendous progress. Absolutely. Yeah, at the end of the day, patients want to be involved in their healthcare decision-making process. So, you know, keeping them informed and abreast of what their options are is very important to helping them make an informed decision about their health. It may be that a lot of our listeners may not fully appreciate all of the, the work that's going on at the FDA to address these issues. Do you think there's something that people need to understand about the FDA to give people a better perspective of the work that's going on to address diversity in clinical trials? So I think in my office specifically, um, Office of Minority Health and Health Equity, we are definitely dedicated to addressing clinical trial diversity. And we have a, a dynamic group of dedicated career scientists and public health professionals who are working diligently to address not only this issue, but many, many other issues that disproportionately impact racial and ethnic minorities. So I do want to stress the importance of of that, of us having a dynamic workforce that is equipped to address um, these issues. Um, Another thing I want to stress the importance of is that We want to hear from our stakeholders. We want to engage with our stakeholders, like I mentioned, through public um, meetings. We also have had open dockets through the FR notice where we are, you know, asked for input into our programmatic agenda, for example. So we are always looking for ways where we can um, have conversations and dialogue about our work with our stakeholders to make sure that the products that we put forth will resonate with our communities and that they will be able to um, use them and recognize that, you know, we are a public health agency and that, you know, we are a credible and trusted source of information. Sure. And just to clarify, by FR, you mean the Federal Register where notices are are published and then interested parties are able to submit comments. Yes. Yes. You've been involved in so many really interesting activities and initiatives. Are there one or two that you see that could use even more resources or more emphasis, some of these things that are really paying off now in the the near term? So one area that we are including more resources and tools is around the multimedia piece. So we know that consumers are early adopters of technology. They like to get their format in small digitized pieces. So we've been developing additional short public service announcements for consumers. Right now we have about 10 public service announcements, but we're adding more. And one thing that's really important is adding them into additional languages to make sure that 
people who do not speak English at home have access to the materials as well. So we are expanding our portfolio of translations. Um, normally, we will translate into the top top five spoken languages in the U.S., which are Spanish, Tagalog, Vietnamese, Chinese, traditional Chinese simplified. Typically, we have brochures and fact sheets and infographics, but also expanding into postcards and other types of um, health education materials because people want to get their information in different formats. Some want something that's a little longer, a little bit more informative. Others want smaller chunks of information. So making sure that we have all the different types of products so people can can use them. And then also using our social media platforms. So technology is playing a bigger role in helping to engage patients and sites in addressing diversity issues. I'm wondering what role technology is playing in your office and your work. Technology definitely plays a big role in in our work, and we want to make sure that we're using the available platforms that we have to us to make sure that we're able to communicate these key messages to our stakeholders and to, to consumers. Another strategy that we have used is social listening tools. So this is where you can help monitor social media conversations to better understand what's currently going on. Um, and it really helps provide an insight into like the different types of keywords and terminology, who are the influencers in that space and other information that can be helped to use um, to inform your outreach efforts. And we can translate that information into our key messages, into our um, programming, into the different types of health education materials that we're doing. And that helps us strengthen the work that we're able to do. So when you asked me earlier about like golden nuggets and, and something that I wanted people to know, that is definitely something um, that I would want people to know about is making sure that you're using the technology to help benefit your work. And for us, using these social listening tools has been one of those areas where we've been able to really capitalize off of that to improve our program efforts. Are some of your activities working better than others to help educate consumers? Yes. So from a communications perspective, uh, one thing that's really important is that you need to recognize that a one-size-fits-all approach is not going to work as a long-term strategy. Um, To be most effective, you have to tailor your health education and promotion strategies to each community that you're serving. So for example, if you're working with Hispanic or Asian communities, you need to make sure that you translate your materials. You have to create engaging and relevant content that's, one, easy to read and easy to understand because many consumers are not proficient in health literacy. And current estimates show that about nine in 10 consumers are not proficient in health literacy despite their education levels. So a lot of the time, scientific information is very technical and can be very hard to understand particularly if you do not have a background in that area. So it's important to make sure that you're breaking down the information so it is digestible for consumers. Um, And then also making sure you're staying up to date on where consumers are getting their information. So I mentioned this before about using your social media platforms to engage and recognizing that different demographics are using different platforms. So that goes back to that one size fits all approach does not work. 
So for example, we know that older adults are on Facebook more than younger groups. So that's something you would want to know about your population. Um, and then also, as I mentioned, racial and ethnic minorities are early adopters of technology. So making sure you're capitalizing um, off of your digital and multimedia approaches is key to, to success in this area. How can clinical trial sponsors such as drug, vaccine, and medical device developers take advantage of your work? Sure. So they can do that in three different ways. So the first way is definitely visit our website and follow us on social media and sign up for e-alerts. This will make sure that you are in the loop and you know exactly when we have new information available that that you can use for your own programming efforts. Um, The second thing that you can do to take advantage of our materials is distribute them. Um, So you can display posters in your office or your your hospital or wherever you may be working. And then also sending out announcements through through your own communication channels, like your newsletters or your own social media. And I want to remind listeners that all of our resources are available free of charge. They are available in multiple languages and free shipping is also available. And I know we're talking about clinical trial diversity today here, but we also have a huge repository of information on chronic diseases as well. And lastly, I want to encourage listeners to communicate your issues and ideas with FDA. And you can do that through our public meetings and responding to dockets. And then we also have some um, initiatives across the agency. One is our patient engagement collaborative, and another one is the patient representative program where um, consumers can get involved in the work. We've, we've talked about access to care being an important element in the issue of diversity in clinical trials. Technology can help solve some of those problems, but technology isn't evenly diffused. There are also access to technology issues as there are access to healthcare issues. How are you addressing some of those disparities? So first, uh, to talk a little bit more about some of the technology issues, consumers who live in rural areas may not have equitable access to internet. Most consumers do have a cell phone, but there may be some inequities there in terms of um, what the capabilities are, for example. So to make sure that we are addressing those concerns, we make sure that we are using a variety of different um, outreach strategies. So yes, we do use social media as one of the means to communicate information, but we also have our health education materials that um, are able to be distributed either in print or in digital format. And I mentioned earlier about our stakeholder engagement, and a lot of that also includes us doing community outreach events, for example, like health fairs and other outreach events where we can actually be there to help share the information, you know, answer any questions consumers may have about it. We do a lot of conferences and meetings and presentations and also working closely with our stakeholders to make sure that they have the information. So it's really this diffusion strategy. So we have it, we give it to the stakeholder, they're able to disseminate it out further. So you know, we are able to increase our reach and amplify the messages. So making sure that we're using all of those different strategies in in tandem helps us ensure that we're able to meet communities at their place of need and and that they are getting the information that they need in a format that they can use and that is accessible for them. Dr. Spinner, 
Thank you so much for the work you and your team are doing and for joining us to share your thoughts and insights. To learn more about what Dr. Spinner and the outreach and communications team in the Office of Minority Health and Health Equity at the FDA are pursuing, check out www.minorityhealth.hhs.gov. We'll also include it in the episode notes. This has been Clinical Minds presented by Medidata. This whole season is devoted to diversity in trials, trust, and access to care for all. Please leave a review or comment wherever you get your podcast and let us know what you think and what else you'd like to know. Thanks for joining us.